Good to see you here today. Our second service this morning. We're good, glad to see you. And uh, we're continuing on with the parables. And uh, they've been amazing listening to the different speakers. I've been so blessed uh, to hear Sam speak two weeks ago. And then uh, Teresa spoke last week. And, uh, you know, don't, don't surrender to the American dream. Uh, the trinity of the American dream was, well, you remember it? Me, my, and I. <laughs> and God's got something so much better than that for us all. Uh, one thing that <clears throat> has happened around here, this has been a really neat week at our church. And the, the basic of the parable today is about faithfulness. And uh, it kind of fell at a great time. This week, uh, Sherry Smith got a year older. Friday, she got a year older. I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but she's 39 plus a lot of years of experience. <laughs> and, uh, but besides that, on Monday, and it seems almost impossible, but on Monday, Sherry was an uh, employee here for 20 years. Give her a hand. Uh, 20 years, that's a long time to have to work with me. And uh, <laughs> we had another girl, Gina Wakefield, was here, and she moved away to uh, Vegas. And uh, for some reason, she liked Vegas better than she did here, across Vegas, uh, Crossville. And, uh, but she, she was a, a blessing here. And, and so we had just got in this building, Kylie, and, and, and uh, we were needing somebody in the office. And I asked Sharon, I said, do you know anybody? Anybody that we could get? She said, I, there's a lady that I work with, that I've worked with for several years at the high school, Sherry Smith. And I said, well, call her and see if she'd be willing to come. And so Sharon told her, yeah, I'll come. And, and she kind of said, well, I'll come and fill in. And she thought she's going to be answering the phone and reading uh, romance novels, <laughs> I think. Because she didn't think, well, well, the church don't do nothing. Now, there's nothing going on at church. And, uh, and when she got here, I told her, I said, this is going to be one of the hardest jobs you ever did. And everybody I've ever hired here, that's what I tell them. This is going to be one of the hardest jobs you ever did. Because you work with people every day, and sometimes they're not too nice to you, but you've got to be nice to them. You have to smile and go, God loves you. We're so happy to have your family here. And it's hard to do sometimes. Um, <laughs> I'd like for Sherry to come up. I want you to see who she is. Come up here, Sherry. The office, uh, come on up here. I know she loves the stage. She's in the worship team now. <laughs> That's one thing that she would never do. I don't have a microphone. <laughs> I'm going to give her a microphone. She'll preach like her sister. Uh, Roger, come on out. We've got uh, some flowers for you and a card here. <laughs> Bring, you can give her the vase, too, because she'll need to set it down to something. Thank you for 20 years, and here's your little card and a token of our thanks to you. But I do thank Sherry for being here. If you want to put this in there where you can set it down somewhere there, you can have that vase with it. The most amazing part about that is that they hired a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> child labor. Give her a hand, another hand. Watch out going down. 
That's amazing she started before I did. <laughs> but it, it's been a good 20 years. It went by fast, I'm telling you. Today we're talking about the story and the storytelling when life stinks. It says a great day, been here 20 years, and go, when life stinks, you know. Uh, but we're talking about when life stinks. You know, sometimes when life stinks, we have to just say, it, it was me. Uh, I was the problem, you know. And I was uh, writing work today, and I was listening to Dave Ramsey, and he was saying, some of you are in debt because of you. <laughs> some of you, your life stinks because of you. It, you've got a decision. You get to make decisions in life. You can make decisions to get out of debt. You can make decisions to lose weight. You can make decisions for better health. You can make decisions. And, you know, you can, you can make good decisions, and, it'll, you know, you can do better. We can all do better. And... Uh, and that, he was just, I'm going, man, that guy's just preaching my sermon. And we can do better to a certain extent. As we get older, there's some things ain't going to work as good as it used to work. So there's, there's no, but the thing is, God wants you to have the best possible life you can have. He wants you to have the best. And um, we want to turn in the scriptures to uh, Luke, and they'll put it up on the wall for you, to Luke, the 11th chapter. And we're going to start with the, or the 12th chapter, the 42nd verse, I guess it is. And uh, we want to start here, and I want to get into this message about when life stinks. And you'll understand, sometimes life stinks because God loves you. Now put that together. Sometimes life stinks because God loves you. And he allows certain things for you to go through. And we've been through some things, and you've been through some things. But in Luke's writing, uh, said the Lord answered, who then is, a, is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of the servants to give them food and allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing, doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants and both men and the women and eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant whom knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will also be beaten with fewer blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be required. <clears throat> I'm going to be dealing with that parable today. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the reading on this second one. Uh, and it's in Luke, the 13th chapter, the 6th verse. So if you turn over there. Then he told the parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it. But did not find it any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard. For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. And I haven't found it any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it, I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. That's the passages that we're dealing with today. And really when it comes down to it, as I analyzed this and I thought about that, if we're doing the parables in chronological order, and Teresa talked about the guy that said, well, look, I've got a big old, man, I've just done good this year. Look how good I did. I've got extra, extra crops, and I'm just going to build bigger barns. And, I'll, and I, I said to myself, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll build bigger barns, and I'll store up more for myself, and for me, and for my, and for I. And so... <clears throat> We find that's pretty much the prevailing attitude of people in the world today. It's all about me, my, and I. And uh, as she talked about, we, we need to have a bigger vision than the American dream. Uh, because God's got something much better for us than the American dream. You know, one of the favorite uh, songs of Christmas, and I don't know why, but it seems like that one of the favorite songs of Christmas is, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. There's something to be said about being faithful. Faithfulness is, a, is, is really a key. And so we find, uh, there's a story I read about, a story of a Marine Corps General, Charles C. Krulik. General Krulik was the commandant of the Marine Corps from 1995 to 1999. And in 1998, after the president, uh, president then Clinton was caught in an adulterous affair, the military service began to examine the prosecution of adultery under the UCMJ, perhaps to lessen the punishment. For see, they have a strong rule that you, you know, uh, in the Marine Corps, you, you don't have an affair with one of your buddies. Why? That causes divisions in the ranks and uh, you have people killed and you have people not covering, not, you know, not having your back and all those kind of things. And so, there was a consideration of maybe lowering the standard. And General Krulik, very outspoken defendant of the military values in general, and the Marine Corps values in particular, a actual conservative Christian, who said he would quit if the Pentagon ever eased its unequivocal prohibition on adultery, as some officials had proposed. He said, I'll quit if you do away with that standard. He essentially said, not on my watch will this ever happen. It's not going to happen. Not on my watch. He said, what part of Simplify do you not understand? The Marines use this Simplify means always faithful. Always faithful. And he says, always faithful are we going, what part of always faithful are we going to drop? The UCMJ was strengthened in those matters due to the stand of General Krulik. And so here Jesus is saying the same thing that this general is saying in, in, in basic. He's telling them, are you going to be faithful? See, we are all becoming something. I had a, a, a college professor and he told about a farmer who took and about the time that uh, the fruit was on the vine... For, uh, to, for a pumpkin. He stuck that vine into a jug. And then he kept fertilizing it and watering it and taking care of it. And as the pumpkin grew and grew, eventually the pumpkin began to push up against the sides of the jug. And after a period of time, 
and the pressure against the, the conforming sides. Then eventually he broke the jug and he had a pumpkin in the shape of a jug. I thought that's pretty cool. But our teacher, his, uh, Dr. Stone, his, his message to us is, what are we becoming? What are we becoming? And, uh, you know, they used to take and drop wax on a, 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 on a scroll and they'd send out a message from the king. And he had a signet ring and he would press into that wax. And, and if he pressed hard enough, it would have the insignment of the king. This is what the prodigal son, you know, his dad said, I'll give you this insignment ring. He pressed in and there was that insignment of the king. And so that uh, in this life, we have pressures. We have, sometimes we feel like we're pressed on every side. How many has been through a few pressures lately? Well, you know, it may be something you did, or it may be something that somebody did to you, or it may be that God is putting some pressure on you because he's trying to conform you to the image of the Son of the living God. Because when he comes, we will be like him. And in order for us to be like him, we may need to be conformed. There need, may need to be some pressure, some, some uh, pushing in on us and conforming us. But we are all becoming something. And we've got to decide what we're becoming. We're either becoming faithful or we're becoming unfaithful. And, you know, what part of always faithful, uh, you know, are you all right if you're going to get married to somebody and they go, uh, well, will you have, hold, and all that until death do your part? Well, I'll give you 50%. I'll be faithful 38% of the time. But the other, you know, I don't know. I can't, can't guarantee it. Or, or if you go to work for somebody and on your resume you go, well, I'll tell you what, I'll be faithful on Monday and Wednesday and Friday. I don't know about Tuesday and Thursday. And I'll tell you what, I'll take the job, but I'll, I'll just be here until I can find something better. What part of faithful? What part of faithful? And so... <clears throat> Being faithful was what the very question that Jesus was asking. And you know, as we looked last week, we were talking about the, it's my barns and it's my blessings and I'm going to store them up in my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns and it's all about me and my and I. It's all about that, the trinity of, uh, of the great American dream. It's all about us. But what Jesus is moving these chronological parables too he's trying to get these people to see you're not the owner you're not you're not all that uh, you know you're not all that uh, bag of chips uh, you're not all you think you are and he gets to the point that he's the owner he owns the vineyard he owns the house there's a man left his house he was the owner of the house he left the house and he, he left a steward over it and the steward had one job, is to be faithful and do what he had been asked to do. He'd been given an instruction list of what to do. And he needed to be faithful to that. You know, there, there's a lot of things that we cannot be. I cannot be the best singer in the church. I already tried it. It didn't work. I, I, I can't. I may not be the, the best preacher in the church or the best teacher in the church. And you go, well, I, I'm not as good as somebody else or I can't do like somebody else. But you know... What When God asks us to be faithful, that's something that we can all be. 
There's no limit to education. There's no limit to years of experience or, or any of that. To be faithful, it's just to be faithful. Show up. Sometimes the, the greatest part of the Christian life is just showing up. Put one foot in front of the other and just give it another day, another hour. I'm going to just show up. The people that fight to overcome uh, drugs and alcohol and anything, any other habit, that they're, anybody's habit that they're trying to overcome, it's one day at a time. It's one hour at a time. It's one breath at a time. It's one more day, one more minute. I'm just going to stay faithful one more minute to what I'm doing. It just takes a little bit more, a little bit more. And so faithfulness is something that we all can have behind our name. You may not have a, a doctor or in front of your name, or you may not have a, a certain kind of degree or a certain, a certain kind of prestige, but you can all be faithful. We can all be faithful. The fruit, he wasn't even saying, you've got to bear this much fruit or you're not going to be one of my servants. No. The fruit is dependent upon God. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you will stay with me, if you will stay in me, you'll bear much fruit. Zig Ziglar used to have a book and he, he told the story about he was uh, kind of a messed up guy and he was trying to be in business, kept messing up everywhere he turned. And he said he was sitting at the table and he decided to read his Bible. You know, he was reading his Bible and he had this little lady that uh, worked there for him and he uh, come in and cleaned the house and stuff. And she said, hey, Zig, you understand what you're reading? He goes, not a whole lot. And she told him to turn over and to a verse of Scripture. And he read, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. She said, did you read that? And he said, yeah. He said, turn over to another verse. She told him the place it was. And he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. So, Zig, here's what I need to ask you today. Zig, you want to do all things or you want to do nothing. Zig Ziglar said, well, I want to do all things. And he said, well, I want you to bow your head and pray this prayer. And he, she led Zig Ziglar through the sinner's prayer. He accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And he became a, a great outspoken salesman and speaker uh, and tell people about Jesus Christ. That's kind of where we're at today. We can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives us strength or we can do nothing. But the thing is, it's the call of God. The call of God is about faithfulness. And it's realize who owns the house. In this parable, who owns the house? If you study, who owns the vineyard? Who owns the field that the fig tree's in? Who owns the field that the olive tree's in? It's all God. It's all God. And I believe one of the reasons he's given this parable because the Jews, they thought they were all that. They're like, you know, the Jews thought, well, you know, we, we, don't, we don't need God no more. We got the law and we got it figured out. We'll tell people. And he says that God sent someone in the field and they, they, they would run them out. And they'd send somebody else, well, they'd run them out. And they sent, the very owner came in the field, and the owner's son came in the field, and they killed the owner's son. These stories are telling you about God. They're telling you the story. You know, there's only three trees mentioned in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden. There's only three trees. And people say, well, they, they ate an apple tree. There's no place that said that Adam and Eve ate an ap part of an apple tree. Don't even say there's an apple tree in the garden. 
It says there was the, uh, the tree of good knowledge and evil, and there's the tree of life. That's the only trees that's mentioned there, and then there's one other. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they disobeyed God. They weren't faithful to what God told them to do. He said, I want you to enjoy this beautiful garden. Everything you need is right here in it. I'm going to take care of every want you have. I'm the Lord over this garden. It's a beautiful garden. It's got everything you're going to ever need in it. Only thing I don't want you to partake of that tree. That one tree. And what did the serpent cause them to do? The one thing they couldn't have, that's what they wanted. They partook. And so we know they, they took of the tree of the uh, knowledge of good and evil. And so there was a, a flaming angel stood there where they wouldn't take of the, the tree of life where they would be in that condition forever and ever and ever throughout eternity. So God guarding the tree of life after they disobeyed was a mercy thing. It was a grace thing. But what did God's people, what did Adam and Eve do, do after that? They went to a fig tree. The reason we know they went to a fig tree is because they covered their nakedness with fig leaves. They covered their nakedness with fig leaves. They used something that God had put in their garden for enjoyment. If you start reading the scriptures, and I, you know, I found out from first service, I don't have time, you can look at that sermon. But you go back in the scriptures, you'll find over and over again, God bringing it back that he owns everything. He created everything. If you want to find a people that go astray, they always go astray when they misappropriate who this all belongs to. Back in the 60s when they go, you know, God is dead, there began to be a problem. There began to be uh, uh, humanism started, big time. They, they began to disbelieve in God. They began to believe in evolution. And I know Christians talk about there's some evolutional process even when you're believing in God. But when you say there is no God, that he didn't have anything to do, we evolved. We don't, we, we don't even put God in the picture. Then you're saying he don't own this world. That he, he's not the creator. That he's not our maker. And if we do that, we end up being a million miles away from God very quickly. And so all these stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament is about God coming down and trying to reach these people that have become rebellious. And he tells here that he's talking about faithful. Who They ask the question, who is the, who is the faithful? Jesus answered the question. Luke 12 and 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise servant? He's talking about there's people who build their house on the rock. There's people who build their house on the sand. He's, he's showing us there's people that are in this shape and their house blew down and, and, and the waves came and destroyed it because they built in the wrong place. They didn't build on the rock. There's not enough of money in America or the world to prop up people that's disobedient to God. Ever. You'll never do it. I don't understand. It's the same people every year that live in the floodplain that goes, my house got swept away again in the flood. This is the fifth time in the last five years. When are you going to move? Get up on a rock. I went over there and traveled through Europe and there's castles still there today that's thousands of years old and they're built way up high off of the river. They've never been flooded. 
Surprise, surprise. They're built on a big old stone rock up on the mountainside. They're there to this day. He said there's some people they build on the rock and the rock stands. There's going to be storms. It's not just like, oh, God's so mean to me. God came and caused a storm and wiped me out. No. He says build on the rock. Build on the rock. Are we building our spiritual houses on the rock? Are we building our marriages on the rock? Are we building our finances on the rock? If we're not, we are very susceptible to things going wrong in our life. We, we find this, this steward of the house and he goes, here's the thing. There's some people that know better. Now when those people, it's going to be a lot harder on them that know better. They know better and yet they do not do what they know to do. The Bible said to know to do and not do it is a sin. That's the ultimate classification of sin. You know to do right and you're not doing it. How many things in our life we know better but we're not doing it? I mean all of us. In America, how much do we really know that we're not doing? It's hard to even wrestle with what is truth anymore. And, and so he says... The owner of the house, the first thing that has to be reestablished is God is the owner of this world. He created it and everything in it. He owns the cattle of a thousand hill. I got news for you. He owns the hill that the cattle's own. He owns the grass that the cattle eat. He owns it all. The word Lord means owner. If we don't make him the owner, if we don't make him the Lord, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of anything. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of all. And he's saying here, who's the faithful one? The faithful one is the one that knows and does what he knows. They're going to be punished the worst. It's going to be the hardest on them because they knew better. They're going to have the greatest regret because they knew better. And then there's some people that they don't know. Well, the Jews were good about like putting everybody else down. And he goes, my God, you know better. You've read the scripture. You've, you've been scribed the scripture on scrolls. You know better. And you know what's going to happen to you is going to be a great fall because you know better. And then there's some that don't even know better. Like when Jonah didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh. He said, what's wrong with you, Jonah? They don't know their left hand from their right. And God's going to show mercy on them. You don't like them because they're your enemy. But they're my children. Jonah was so mad. He was so mad. We need to establish who the owner is. Who the creator is. Who God is. He's the owner of the house. The owner of the house left somebody in charge and he went away. And so he had one job is follow the rules and be faithful until the owner came back. Well, he said that owner took a long time. There was a time there was a lot of preaching on the coming of the Lord. Now people say, well, he's not coming back. Matter of fact, we don't even believe he is, so why would we worry about he is coming back? We don't believe in God anymore. We don't believe in his son anymore. We don't believe he's coming back anymore, so why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry and have a good time? Forget about God and have a good time. That's pretty much the approach that a lot of people have taken. There is no God. They're telling you that church's attendance are going down. Men are leaving the ministry at a, a, a rapid rate. Men and women are leaving the ministry at a rapid rate. 
You know, I didn't come to preach a down message, but I want you to see. So Jesus said, uh, he said, the owner has a right to be gone as long as he wants to. The owner has a right to come back anytime he wants to. And he goes, because you let yourself believe the owner was not coming back, you just started doing what you, you knew better. You knew better. And I hope you're one of those Christians today that you know better. You know good and well Jesus is coming back. I don't care what the news says. I don't know what the world says. I don't care what they say on Facebook. You and I know Jesus is coming back. And we need to be watching and we need to be waiting. He goes on over. And he, he asks, who then is the wise and the faithful steward? Whom the master will make ruler over the whole household to give them the portion of food in their season." It's the one that was doing what Jesus, the owner, told him to do. He goes over, you know, what is, what is God's, the picture of God in these parables? The picture of God, the parables are like the autobiography of God. It's the story of God. It's letting a, the prodigal son is a story about God. These are all stories about God or about Jesus or about God's Holy Spirit. They're stories about how long-suffering and how patient and how caring and how loving God is. And he tells us, he, he said, let me give you an example. You, Peter, Peter denied the Lord three times. He said, I'll never deny you. They may all deny you, but I won't. And Jesus said, before the sun goes down tonight, before that, the rooster crows three times, you're going to be denied me three times. Peter denied him three times. After the resurrection, Jesus was resurrected. And uh, he said, go tell the disciples. And Peter, Peter felt like somebody that denies the Lord three times after he told him he would not. This guy has no place in his kingdom, has no place as a disciple, has no place as a Christian. And so Peter went back to his old ways. Some of you have kind of went back to your old ways because you don't think God loves you anymore. You could never be further from the truth. God still loves you. He still loves you. And so we find when Jesus catches up with Peter, what is it? first thing he does is bless him with a huge amount of fish. He blesses him. And he knew, his, he knew he was not fallible, infallible. He knew he was going to have failures, but he's still going to use him. He had already told him he's going to be one of the pillars of the church. And he finds Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? He's in John 21 and 15, feed my lambs. John 21, 16, tend to my sheep. Or some say still feed, but some say it's tend to my sheep. John 21 and 17, feed my sheep. It is clear what Jesus wants his faithful stewards to do. Feed and tend to God's sheep. I am so thankful that I've got to pastor here at this wonderful church for so many years. I started this church, some of you may know, been here very long. I started this church, I've been here this whole time. Y'all put up with me the whole time. And now, you know, I've got other people that we're sharing the pulpit and we're, uh, and we're getting ready for the next generation and the next generation. I don't plan to go on anywhere anytime soon. But I want to be faithful to God's work. I don't want to just end it. I don't want to just quit. I want this thing to go on as long as God wants it to go on. And I've been, I've been just really, really happy and pleased with the, the, the ones that have come into the pulpit and preached. How many has enjoyed it? Excellent. Excellent. But Jesus wants us to feed and to tend to his sheep. Luke 12, 43 and 44. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. 
Matthew 25 and 23 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, we're not obligated to the fruit. God wants us to be fruitful, but our fruitfulness comes from Him. Our job is to be faithful. His job is to make our faithfulness fruitful. And He said, don't become weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap a great harvest. You will produce in due time, when the time is right. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his house. Here's a biblical principle. If a person is faithful with little, he can be faithful with much. You ever had anybody, well, I want to I do something in the church. Used to be one of my common things when somebody come and they're, they're wanting to, you know, it's like wanting a position. Or at my last church, I was the auditorium speaker. Well, you won't be that here. You're like, we got some toilets needed cleaning. I knew a guy used to take people through the church and he had already pre uh, had some paper laid on the floor and he'd take them through showing his building when he's going to hire. And, and when he went by, if, if that person, if they saw something on the floor and they reached down and picked it up, he goes, that's the one. They were not obligated to do that, but they did it because they saw it and they saw it needed to be done. So they'd done what was needed done rather than what somebody told them to do. They just looked. There's a guy named Jim Hendry. Uh, he, he was, uh, lived over here in Maryville and wrote a book called Cracker Jack. <laughs> Cracker Jacks and talked about the surprise being in. He, he went to a Marriott Hotel, I think it was in Atlanta. And he went there and he, he, he heard somebody griping about the, uh, the elevator. And he was there uh, to be a, a speaker and he heard somebody griping about the elevator. And he goes, so he got on the elevator and wrote it to the top and wrote it down. Then he got in it again and he timed it. He went to the top. And came down. And so then he went across the street. And uh, he went over there and asked them, did he ha they have any complaints about the elevators? And they said no. And so he got on their elevators. And he went to the same floor. And he timed it coming down. And actually, the elevator that everybody was complaining about at the Marriott was, was actually faster than the one across the street where nobody was complaining. I think some people just love to complain. And so he went back and forth. And then he finally said, I want to talk to the owner or the main manager of the Marriott. And he goes, have you had complaints about your elevator? And the guy goes, yeah. Would you like to know what your problem is? And he goes, who's going to tell me? He said, I am. You're going to tell me why people complain about our elevators all the time. Yeah, I am. He said, well, they're saying it's too slow. And he said, as a matter of fact, your elevator is not too slow. Across the street, their elevator is slower. And they don't have no complaints about the elevator. Well, what are you saying then? You know what? One thing they have over there that you don't have over here? In the lobbies, they have mirrors. And so while people are waiting on the elevator, they can look at their favorite person in the mirror. <laughs> it's all about me, my, and I. And the Marriott goes, are you kidding me? Is that all there is? So the Marriott put the mirrors in there. They give that guy like free rooms. He could come and sit at the Marriott any time for, I think he had a whole year. How did he get that? He decided to be a servant. He decided to look for an answer, not be a part of the problem. There was a time that America, we're talking about our great country, and this is fixing to be 4th of July. There was a time that was the spirit of America. We look for the answer, not the problem. We look for the solution. We, we wanted to be a part of it. Don't ask what the country can do for you, John F. Kennedy said, but what we can do for the country.
What we can do. What we can do. What can I do? That needs to be the same way with the church. What can I do for the church? What's the next thing they need? How can I solve a problem? If there's paper on the floor, I want to pick it up. It's not my obligation to pick it up. He told of another time uh, he was at a place and he said, I, I had a, like a great looking suit on. And he said, their bell boys men there had about the same color suit on. And he said, I walked out and I was waiting on a, a taxi. And somebody thought that I was a bellman. And he said, hey, can you come help me get my luggage in the car? And he goes, yeah. So he went and got their luggage. And he's taking it. And he started putting it in the, the trunk of their car. And they go, well, you don't work for the Marriott. And he goes, no, I don't. Well, why did you do it? He said, because you asked me to do it. Well, what are you here for? I'm, I'm fixing to take a, a taxi over. I'm, I do public speaking. This guy said, well, I, I run a, a big company. And anybody that's got the attitude that you got, I want you to come and speak at my country, company. He got a speaking engagement just because he decided to help people out. Servanthood and faithfulness <clears throat> is, is amazing. And, and uh, this fig tree, as we get to the second parable, this fig tree... He said they looked and it was the time that this fig tree should have been bearing fruit, but it wasn't bearing fruit. It had time. And so the Jews, the Jews wasn't trying to develop and help people become. They were just trying to put people down. And the Jews, Jesus was comparing the, the, the gardener. You know, it's funny, too, when Jesus come out of the uh, come out of the grave and Mary saw a gardener. <laughs> Jesus is the greatest gardener ever, folks. You know, he's, he will tend. He will, he will dig around us when we're not fruitful. And, and, and the King James said when he digs around the roots of something that's not fruitful, he will dung it. How many knows what dung means? It stinks. You ever dung something? It stinks. Sometimes our life stinks because God's been digging around our roots and he dungs it. He fertilizes it with natural fertilizer, if you know what I mean. And it stinks. Sometimes our life stinks because God's wanting to help us bear fruit. That's his job, not ours. Our job is to be open to God's uh, dunging us. We're to be open to God digging around our roots. We're to be open to Him uh, cutting off some branches and pruning us and getting us ready for the next time to bear fruit. And it had been two years. And uh, Jesus, you, you, they said, uh, one writing said three years. And Jesus was there. His public ministry was three years. The fig tree is symbolic because the fig tree, go all the way back to the Old Testament, the fig tree represents God's chosen people, Israel. Israel. The roots are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're the original roots to Israel. And, and so you've got that, that root. And so Israel at one time was obedient to God. And they lived in, they had everything you could ever want. Then they become disobedient. God's not going to bless our disobedience. It's not good for us. It's not good for us for God to bless our disobedience. And so it ended up, the children of Israel ended up in Egypt. You can read the scripture and said God went to Egypt and he dug down and he took the vine out of Egypt and he took and he replanted it in, in Canaan. 
in a, and he ran off the inhabitants and he ran out the giants and he built walls around it. And he gave gardeners to it and Israel began to blossom and it, it covered and it was very fruitful. Uh, the children of God was very fruitful. But for 430 years, they were being dung to death. They, they had got to where they wanted to get out of Egypt because they were under the hard taskmaster of Pharaoh. And so, if your life is continually hard, 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 you might ask yourself, God, am I in your will? Am I in your will? Am I following uh, what you want me to do? Am I obedient to you? Am I, or do, do I understand you're the owner of my life? You own everything I've got. And you'll read all the way through scriptures. There's three primarily that, that's big in scripture. The fig tree, the vineyard, and the olive. All three of those things are used over and over in scripture. And they're symbolic of God's people. And so Jesus said, he said, and you see Jesus comes. He comes and he is the actual owner's son comes to Israel and he tells them, you're not bearing any fruit. You're not doing anything you know to do, but you're not doing. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, what the owner wants is for the axe to hit. But I've come. And I, I've come to do everything. Jesus set up on the mountainside. They're looking down into Jerusalem, which is easy to do. You look down in there and he says, like a, a mother hen would gather its, its chicks under the wing. How many times, oh Israel, would I have gathered you? If you'd, hear, if you'd hear my voice, if you would come to me, I would restore you. But you will not come. You will not hear. These parables are saying the same thing. The, the gardener wants to get the fig tree up and running again. He wants to get the fig tree bearing fruit again. He wants, but if, if it's going to take up soil and it's not going to do the will of God, there comes a time it needs to be cut because it's just wasting the soil. Something else could go there and be fruitful, but that thing just sitting there is not obedient. It does not respond to the Creator. It's not, it's not open to anything and so Jesus worked with this fig tree called Israel for three years. And then it was decided that it would be cut off. The branches would be cut off. And since it was not any good for anything but, but for fire. How many knows that when, when, God, when Israel was cut off, God was long-suffering and he did not cause the destruction of the... He didn't allow the destruction of the temple. You know, they get, he said, one day that temple will be down. He said, you can destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it back up. And they go, you don't understand. It took years and years and years to build this temple. He wasn't talking about their temple that they built, that they possessed. You know, Jesus never got to do real ministry in the holies of holies of the, of the temple that was supposed to be for God. He's always out in the outer courts. They didn't even recognize the God that come. It's like the, the owner comes and he comes and, and they don't even recognize the owner anymore. I wonder if he come today, would anybody recognize him? Would they recognize him? Do they want to hear him? Do they care anything about his words? So he, he tells them, and, and so he, he, he said, I've done everything I can do. You, you finally killed the, the gardener, the husbandman. You finally, you, you're, you're, you're so set on yourself and what you know. You, you, they ended up killing their last hope, Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, Titus, about 40-something, almost 50 years later, he came, they came in, they took over this land, and the temple was destroyed. All the, the gold and the silver that was in between the stones melted out, and they actually chiseled those rocks apiece to get the gold and the silver out. 
and there was not one stone upon another on that original temple. Just like Jesus said, there won't be one stone upon another. Jesus may be long-suffering. You may not think he's come, but I'm telling you, he's got a sure word, and he's coming back. And he's coming back for the faithful. He's coming back for the faithful. And so, the thing that was so surprising, they were run out. You know, they went into all kind of lands all over the country. Uh, they ended up, they were killed everywhere they went and destroyed everywhere they went. They finally learned German. They learned the German language. They said, well, maybe we can mix in if we speak German. So the rabbis started teaching them the Bible in German. But later on, you had Martin Luther that wrote, began to write the Bible in German, and they began to teach in German. And so those people fooled some people for a while, but eventually, you know, under Hitler and all this, the Jews were put into boxcars, and they were ushered off, and they were destroyed. Because judgment eventually comes. God was long-suffering. Were they, were they ever totally eradicated? No. They, for many, many years, they had no reason to even think. They wanted to disguise themselves. They didn't even want to be known as Jews. But one day, there's something began to move inside of them, and they wanted to go home. And now Jews started going back to Jerusalem. Going back to Jerusalem. When they went back to Jerusalem, they had to learn Hebrew because they, most of them had not even used Hebrew in so many years. They had to relearn Hebrew. If you go there in Jerusalem now and you go into the old city, you go there and you'll see this huge, huge, uh, uh, the, the candlestick there, the menorah. You'll see that thing and it's huge. And it's sitting there and they've got like a glass thing over it. And they'll tell you they're waiting to put that in the new temple. Because there's a new temple coming. When the new, they're building these objects to go in the new temple. And they're right there for people to see. When the people come and see it, they go, that's going to go in our temple. And they're in a land that seems impossible for that to ever be. But God has not given up on the Jews. But when he put the axe to the Jews, it didn't destroy the roots. He just cut the branches off. But they are now being restored. In 1948, what happened? Israel became a nation again. They were recognized as a nation in 1948. And it said when the fig leaf, when the fig puts forth its leaf, there's that fig leaf again. When it, put, it says that this generation shall not pass until the Lord returns. So a lot of people took that to mean, well, the Bible, they said 40 years was a generation. So they said the Lord's coming back in 1988. There were books written, 88 reasons why the Lord's coming back in 88. He didn't come back in 88. So some people go, well, maybe the time difference, uh, you know, there's 365 days to 300 days. They started coming up and they said, well, maybe it's coming back in the year 2000. And then they go, well, maybe it's three score and 10, 70 years, because sometimes the Bible mentions about 70 years. Well, 70 years would have been 2016. But the, Jesus said, no man will know the hour of his coming. And, you know, when, when he told Israel, he said, you've got to repent. And they didn't do it. He, he was long-suffering for almost 50 years. But eventually what he said would happen. The Bible tells us the time. You go to Hebrews, go to Romans 11th chapter, the 16th, 17th verse, verse. You need to go home and read this. Paul tells the Gentiles. He said, you are, what happened? God cut the branches, cut the Jews off. And he told him first, go to the Jews. So they went to the Jews first and they would not hear. They cut the Jews off and they engrafted in the Gentiles. 
We are wild branches engrafted in the original root of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our blessings come because we're following Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's teaching. Is God through with the Jews? Absolutely not. But for a time, he's using the roots. It wasn't doing no good for anybody else. So he's using the root system for the times of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles is slowly coming to an end. It's coming to an end. There will be a time when the day of the Gentiles is cut off. It's done. Your chance to come to Jesus Christ is over as a Gentile. He's going to come and take his church away. And there's going to be the rapture of the church. And, and the, the time of the Gentiles is going to be over. Then God's going to fulfill his promise to the Jews in the millennial. And all these scriptures you read about, it's going to happen. The thing we learn about God, God is always faithful. God, if he tells you something, you can count on it. You can take it to the bank. God's not going to give up on you. God's going to fulfill his scripture. But are we going to be faithful? Another thing, and I've got to hurry. In, Jer in, in Jeremiah, the 48th chapter, Moab was this great, wonderful vineyard. At times they had fruit. They had olive trees. They had fig trees. They had vineyards. They were high on the hog. They were living it well. They were going good. You know, everything was going good for them. Well, there came a message to the, the nation of Moab in Jeremiah, the 48th chapter. Jeremiah had the job. He, he didn't get a whole lot done, but he went around weeping and telling people that they were fixing to be destroyed. How would you like that to be your primary ministry? Well, the thing is, that was his primary ministry, but he was faithful to his primary ministry. He told people, if you don't change, some bad stuff's going to happen. In Jeremiah, he says in Jeremiah 48 and 11, Moab has been at rest, or, or the King James says, at ease from his youth. Like wine left on the dregs, not poured from one jar to another, she has not gone into exile, and, and so the taste, uh, as she, so she tastes as she did, and her aroma is unchanged. But days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send men to pour from pitchers, and they will pour her out, and they will empty her pitchers and smash her jars. In other words, it's not, they're not useful anymore. He said salt that's lost its savior is good for nothing. There's people that are becoming good for nothing. They're taking up a spot on this earth. They're taking up air. They've already chosen in their heart. They're not going to serve God. They're not going to recognize God. They're not going to receive God. They're not going to do anything His Word says. They're living on borrowed time, folks. Back, how, how many back years ago you remember y'all made tea and you would boil the tea bags and you'd make a jug like this and you would put uh, sugar in it and, or whatever sweetener and then you'd take and pour the tea bags in there and right at the last minute you noticed one of the tea bags had broke, right? And then like, oh my goodness, now the tea's going to have all these you know, tea leaves in it. And so what they would do, they would set the jar to a side, and they, you know, some of us kids may come in there and we go, well, the tea, what, what I gotta have, what, I gotta have tea, you know, Southern, you gotta have sweet tea. And, you know, we may come in there and like, almost stir it up and get the sugar all mixed in, they go, no, 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 don't do that. Why? Because now we had to wait another 10 minutes. Because we gotta wait for all the sediments to settle to the bottom. And if you pick it up real, real gentle and you pour real, real gentle, you can pour the good part over and you can leave the bad part behind. You know what God's desperately trying to do in all of our life? 
He's trying to pour us from vessel to vessel like a great wine. They were known for their winemaking in this nation of Moab. They were great. But their key was, is when they, they you know, they, they would step on and they would grind. And the, the, you had the, the grape hulls and you had the, the seeds and it would all grind in. And then you would pour it and they'd have to let it set in these jugs. And it had to set just the right time. There was a timing in the pouring. If you poured it too late, the, the seeds and the, uh, the hulls of the grape would bitter the wine. It would make it bitter and you couldn't drink it and all it was good for it to be poured out. So you had, to, you had to wait until the sediment settled to the bottom, but not too long. And then you would pour it to the next vessel. And then you would wait and you would pour it to the next vessel. It's the pouring of the wine. And he said... This, this guy named Moab using this in a symbolic type parable here. He said what he symbolically did. Moab refused the pouring of God. Every time God wanted to pour him to the next place in his life. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. And he says he has not been poured since he was a youth. And now he's good for nothing but to be poured out. To be poured out. For his jugs to be broken and the wine to be poured out. Folks, the church of the living God, we need to be poured out for God. We used to, in our old church, we used to go down to the altar and, you know, we'd be crying and praying. A lot of times they'd be singing this song, fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. And, and the thought was, you know, in going to the altar, and people may think that's old-fashioned, but the reason of kneeling and, and going before God is we would try to pour us out that God could pour Him in. But if, if we refuse the pouring of God, we only are left with bitterness. We're left with bitterness and hatefulness. And, and you know, you've all got memories of stuff you want to be poured from, and you've got ideals and thoughts that you want to be poured from you want to be poured from vessel to vessel in order that God can make something usable out of you and I say God pour me pour me God pour me God I'm trying my best as a pastor of this church I'd love to just preach every single Sunday but I say God pour me there's going to be one day that I'm, I'm poured out there's no more to pour. And that's why God's raising up some others. And God's already starting the pouring process in them. And if they'll keep allowing the pouring of God, they'll become that instrument of God. They'll become that fresh wine that people want, that new wine. Are you willing to be poured? Out of your misery, poured out of your hurt, poured out of your bitterness, poured out for God. God wants to pour you. And so we're seeing here, we serve a long-suffering, loving God. God loves us. He's the owner of us. Who is faithful? Those that do His will. And so some people say that this generation shall not pass refers to the, the Jewish people will never pass. There, there will never be an end to the Jewish because there will always be a remnant that God's going to fulfill all his scriptures in. So, you know, the 40 years hadn't panned out and the 70 years hadn't panned out. So I don't know if we totally know. But we know that God has started blessing the fig tree. 
The fig tree is beginning to blossom. You are to go to Israel and see what's happening over there. Places that used to be desert now is fruitful, blessed. And there's, there's, there's the national restoring. There's the spiritual restoring. There's the religious restoring of Israel. They're in the process of that. But Jesus, he is the good gardener. He's the one seeking more time. He's the one digging. He's the one uh, dunging. He's the one trying to help us become more fruitful in our life. He knows a lot of times our previous behavior is a good indication of our future behavior, but he don't want it to be that way. He believes he can change it. He believes he'll dig around us, and it, sometimes it don't feel comfortable to dig and to be dung, but God knows he wants you to become something that you've not yet become, and he will make you fruitful if you will be willing to allow him God is long-suffering. He's patient, but his spirit will not always strive with man. And Paul tells us in Hebrews 11, 16 and 17, he said, if God would literally cut off the branches to the Jews, the Gentiles need to stay humbly before God and realize if it can happen to the so-called chosen people, it can happen to us. Is God long-suffering? Absolutely. Is He loving? Absolutely. Does He love us with all His heart? Absolutely. But if we will not hear Him, as He said in some of these parables, if we will not do what He says in some of these parables, if we will not honor Him as the owner of His own vineyards, His own field, what else has He got left to do with us? We're saying we don't want God in our lives any longer. What else is He to do? I want us to bow our heads and the worship team's coming at this time. Those helping with the communion, I'd like for you to come and get ready. You go, well, you know you preached to the wrong people today. I probably did. <laughs> the faithful ones are here, right? <laughs> we all, in the summer, we take time off. And that's, that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being sold out to God. A loving God, a caring God that loves you. He cares for you. Some of us, we're in need of a pouring in the worst way. And I want God to pour me. Today, we're going to take communion. You don't have to take communion. We're going to pass it out. If you, if you don't want to, you just tell them no. They'll pass out the bread and the wine. And uh, we're going to do this during this song. Then right at the end of the song, I'm going to let us take communion together. So if you'll just hold on to it. And uh, during the song, I'll be down here with our prayer team. If you'd like prayer about anything. And right when the song ends, we'll take the communion and we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, in light of how many times you went to the Jews, in light of how many times you were long-suffering, and, and in light of all that you did, God, it makes me feel good that we're serving a faithful God that will never give up on his word. He'll do everything in his power to cause us to be fruitful. He'll cause everything he can to pour us. But we eventually have a self-will. Are we willing to surrender that self-will to an almighty God is the question. And be faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.